Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. The Book of Psalms is a book of poetry, prayers, and songs that people wrote to God, prayed to God, and even used to lead others in the worship of God. The Psalms give us insight into what a relationship with God looks like and examples of how we can pour out our joys, fears, and our heart's desires to God. Join us weekly as we spend the summer in Psalms. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning again, everybody. A very good uh, 4th of July to you. Today we uh, celebrate our freedom, not specifically just our freedom as a nation, but we celebrate our freedom in Christ that Christ offers to all of us. And today we're going to look at that particularly as we look at Psalm 32. Uh, Recently, a a person decided that he wanted to clear his conscience from the guilt he felt for not paying a parking ticket. Now, what's so unusual about this and why this made the news is because this parking ticket was over 40 years old. Um, This was in Minersville, Pennsylvania, just uh, outside of Harrisburg, and the Minersville Police Department reports that they received a letter with a $5 bill inside and a note inside, and the return address on the envelope said this, feeling guilty, wayward road, any town, California. Uh, The news interviewed the police chief, and Chief Michael Combs told them that uh, there was a note that said, dear police department. I've been carrying this ticket around for 40 plus years, always intending to pay. Forgive me if I don't give you my information with respect, Dave. (laughs) So it's interesting. He he received that parking ticket in 1974. The ticket cost $2, so he figured he'd add another $3 for interest in that unpaid fine. Look, today we're going to be looking at Psalm 32, and it's a psalm that deals with guilt. And the reality is this. God wants us to be free from guilt and from sin and from shame. And so this is important. This is a psalm that is written by David. And you can see that this psalm is somewhat autobiographical in nature. He's telling his own story as one who knows what it's like to battle his own sin nature. And as one who has learned something in the process. And so as we walk through this scripture, this psalm, we're going to look at it. And and here's the the first thing that that David wants us to see, that there's a blessing in admitting our sins. That's right. There's a blessing in admitting our sins. Let's look at verse one and two and, and, and notice that he launches into not a list of his sins, but words of praise. And this is what he says. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. Now, David is getting at a truth that there is a blessing, that something that truly makes you feel better when you admit your mistakes, when you admit the wrongs of your life, when you come clean about your own sinfulness. And this is a blessing that comes Only when we take the time to confess our sins and then receive that forgiveness, knowing that God no longer counts our sins against us. Now, 
I, I want to share a story with you. Some of you know that I like Starbucks coffee, but it's, it's actually not just the coffee that has always intrigued me. I've been intrigued by the former CEO, Howard Schultz, and he's been very open about his leadership of the company and the lessons that he's learned. And while he's not a Christian, I've seen in many of the things he's written an openness to following the teachings of Christ. Now, He's been involved in the Starbucks company since 1982, and he eventually became the chief executive officer, the CEO. Um, and then in, uh, in 2000, he decided to resign when the, the coffee chain was experiencing steady growth. But eight years later, Starbucks was reeling from a bad economy and from a huge amount of stiff competition. And that's when Schultz resumed his role as the chief executive. And he came in and he faced a, challenge, a challenging mission, really, to, to lead a turnaround of the company. And in an interview about that return, he commented that before they could move forward, they had to deal with the past by honestly admitting their mistakes. And this is what he said in the interview. He said, when I returned in January of 2008, things were actually worse than I had thought. The decision we made was the decisions we made were very difficult, but first there had to be a time when we stood up in front of the entire company as leaders and made a confession. That the leadership had failed, the 180,000 Starbucks people and their families, and even though I wasn't the CEO then, I should have known better. I am responsible. We had to admit to ourselves and to the people of this company that we owned the mistakes that we made, once we did, it was a powerful turning point. It's like when you have a secret and it, you get it out and the burden comes off your shoulders. So here's a guy who's not a follower of Jesus, but he gets the importance of coming clean and admitting your mistakes, admitting your sins. In fact, in his own words, he saw the blessings and what transpired and what he did. And it's a, a powerful story about a turning point in the company. And if you know anything about Starbucks after that, its value just increased. So what I want you, though, to think about it is not the fact that its financial value increased. I want you to focus on what the scripture tells us, that there is a blessing that comes from coming clean about our sins, about our mistakes about the stuff that we've done on purpose that we shouldn't have done and about the stuff that we failed to do. Maybe we gave our word to do something and we didn't do it. We, there's a blessing that comes. You know, when, when we commit a transgression, literally it means that we've crossed a line, that we, we've done something that we knew we shouldn't do. When we come clean about that, there's power. When we commit a sin, Literally, that means that we, we've missed the mark. It's like shooting at a target and not, and not hitting the bullseye. But, but we have a choice. When we realize this, we can admit what we've done. God's word tells us that we will be blessed when we confess those things. Why? Because God wants to forgive us. He wants to tell us that our sins are covered by his forgiveness. But David doesn't stop there. He goes on and he tells us about the foolishness of not repenting. Now, 
repenting literally means to, to uh, change directions. Uh, to, if you're going this way and it was sinful, when you repent, you say, wow, I shouldn't be doing that, and you turn the other direction. So let's look at verse 3 and 4. David writes, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. This is sort of a bit of a testimonial by David. He's telling us what happened to himself when he did not repent. Basically, he has hidden his sins, but he's still living with the knowledge of them. And the consequences are eating him up on the inside. Pastor and scholar Warren Wiersbe writes about David saying, he became a physical wreck. He was probably about 50 when he disobeyed the Lord, but he began to feel and look like a much older and a much sicker person. Usually robust and ready for action, David now had constant pain in his body and he was groaning because of it. The hand of God was heavy upon him and instead of feeling fresh and full of vigor, he was dried up like a plant during a drought. Now, Wearsby speculates, maybe he had a fever, but whatever it was, he was miserable for he had a defiled conscience, a worried mind, a sick body. But it was worth the pain for the experience brought him back to the Lord. He repented. He not only confessed what he did, but he said, I'm going to make a U-turn. I'm going to stop pursuing that avenue of life. I'm going to deal with it, and I'm not going to hide it anymore. There was an article written in, uh, 19, uh, in the 1900s, excuse me, in, in the 1990s by uh, Mark Galley with Christianity Today. He, he, the title was, Whatever Became of Repentance? And in the story... He, in the article, he writes about uh, back in the 1500s, Martin Luther, the great reformer, posted his 95 theses on the door of the All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And uh, he wanted to start a, uh, a, he wanted to propose an academic debate on the power of indulgences. Now, just a reminder, indulgences were a practice that was instituted by the church at that time that if you did good works or if you made an offering of money, you could pay for your sins. You could remove the punishment for your sin. And so what Martin Luther was disturbed about was how indulgences were encouraging people to pay for forgiveness rather than repent. In other words, they weren't changing anything. They were continuing to do the same old thing because they thought they could buy their forgiveness. But Martin Luther argued this. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, when he said repent, willed that the whole life of believers should be repentance. Now, Galley writes, that is as hard to swallow today as it was in Martin Luther's day. We're not the first to notice, though, the absence of repentance in our society today. And Galley goes on and he notes this, that, that repentance is unpopular because we're addicted to justifying our own actions and pointing out the evil in other people. If I really looked at my own self-centeredness and pride, he writes, I'd have to admit that I'm a hypocrite and I'm a moral failure. And so he concludes, well, yes, aren't we all hypocrites and moral failures? And that's precisely why Jesus came to save the world, to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sins. And that's why the word repentance 
in the Bible is usually connected to the phrase good news. And then he quotes from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' own words in his early days of preaching where he said, repent and believe the good news. It's this idea that, listen, if we turn away from our sins, if we recognize it, confess it, and turn away, we are experiencing the good news of Jesus by recognizing that we have to do that. And repentance is essential for anyone who wants to be saved through faith in Jesus. You have to admit you're a sinner and confess, but also turn away from your sins. So that's what he calls us to do. And the consequences, as we see David point out in this, are both spiritual and physical. David tells us that he was literally sick until he repented. And, and even more significant, until you and I take this seriously, until we repent and say that we're sinners and that we need to change the direction of our sinful life, have we really become followers of Jesus? Because if we really have then we would confess and we would turn the other way from our sins. And repentance isn't a one-time act. It's not a one-time decision. It's actually something along with confession that we need to be serious about on a regular basis. In fact, some people suggest that we should confess our sins daily and that way we can keep a clean account with God. Why should we do that? Because our sin, particularly our unconfessed, willful, disobedient actions, separate us from God. God is holy. And if sin makes us unholy, God can't come into the presence of that that is unholy. So until we get serious about confessing and changing the direction of our lives... We're putting barriers between us and God. So we need to confess and we need to repent. This is what the psalm is telling us. This is coming from the Old Testament, from David. But David goes on and he talks about the way of being delivered from all of this. Now, he actually walks through the process of how he was delivered from his own sinfulness and, and how he walked through this. And so let's begin in verse five and read through seven. He writes, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. So, David acknowledges his sins to God. He's no longer covering them up. He's no longer hiding his sinfulness as if God didn't know already, right? But somehow we think God doesn't know, but he's all-knowing. He confesses how he's crossed the line into sin. Not once, not twice, but over and over. But then David gives us a little warning because he says, pray and seek forgiveness. And he uses this illustration before the rising water reaches you. The rising water of some adversity reaches you. Do it because God is your hiding place and God wants to deliver you. So he's saying, listen, this is important. This is urgent. We need to move forward with this. What David is telling us here is, is not 
how to be delivered from the condemnation of our sins, but not just how to be delivered from them, but also that it's a blessing when you confess your sins. There is a relief from the guilt and the shame. Here's a rather dramatic illustration of how such truthfulness can bless us. And, and there's a moral to the story that I'm going to share. Uh, Lloyd H. Stephan wrote in the Christian Century magazine years ago that when King Frederick II, the 18th century king of Prussia, was visiting a prison in Berlin, the inmates all tried to prove to him that they had been unjustly imprisoned except for one. And that one prisoner sat quietly in the corner of his cell and while all the rest protested their innocence, he just didn't say anything. So seeing him sitting there oblivious to the commotion, the king asked him what he was there for. Armed robbery, your honor. The king asked him, were you guilty? Yes, sir, he answered. I entirely deserve my punishment. To the shock of everyone, the king then turned to the guard and gave this order. He said, release this guilty man. I don't want him corrupting all these innocent people. I mean, amazingly, it would seem that this man was released from prison in Berlin because he was truthful and he was honest about his guilt and sinfulness. Now, this uh, scripture is not promising to deliver you from the legal or moral consequences of your sins or of your crimes. But it is promising a more important deliverance and an eternal freedom. It's a deliverance from the freedom of, uh, from the prison of guilt and shame. It's a release from holding something in that is damaging your relationship with God and with other people. It's freeing you to live a life that God intended for you to live. You know, there's a passage in the Gospel of John where Jesus says something, and it's not gonna be on the screen. I just want you to take this in. Jesus said these words. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is saying, listen, I have come that you may have life and that you may have a full life. And he's talking about a life where we're real with God and with others about our failings and our sinfulness so that we can live in the fullness of freedom from guilt and from shame. God wants us to live in that freedom. We celebrate that today. From here, the psalm moves on, and it talks about the joy of obeying God. Now, you may have noticed in the first seven verses, uh, David has mostly been talking to God, but now God is talking to David, at least in verses eight and nine. So let me read them. God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. And then David picks up and he concludes, many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. He closes again with a celebration. But let's go back to verse eight and nine where God is speaking to David. 
God is assuring David of the joy of his salvation, that it will be restored to him if he lives a life obeying God and walking in the will of God. David's wrong thinking got him into serious trouble, but the Lord will instruct him. The Lord will guide him. The Lord will keep his loving eye on him. And David must now respond in obedience. And think this through. You know, faith first and then works. They, they must go together. If we believe in Jesus and let him transform our lives, we're going to do the things that God calls us to do. It has nothing to do with our salvation. But when we believe in Jesus and let him transform our lives... We become on a mission for God to do his will. You see, God doesn't forgive us so that we can go back and enter into a sinful life. Will we sin again? Yes, that's unfortunately part of our human nature. But this psalm tells us how to deal with that. So as we continue in these last verses, God goes on and he tells us something that's so important because he gives us this word picture. He says, he says don't be like a horse. A horse is impetuous and it bolts away from its rider because it wants to do its own thing. But then he goes on and he talks about the mule. He said, don't be like the mule. The, the mule is stubborn and a mule doesn't want to be led. And the only way you can control these animals is with a bit and with a bridle to break their wills so that they become obedient to their owners. But God doesn't want to break us. He wants to allow our own recognition of our sinfulness to break our wills so that we will discover both the joy and the freedom of obediently following God and his will for our lives. And I said something important there. He wants us to discover both the joy and the freedom of obediently following God's will for our lives. So you see, there is both joy and freedom in following God's will. It's, it's not heavy-handed, pushing us down, holding us down, squashing us. Why? Because Jesus has come that we may have life and have life to all of its fullness. Years and years ago, Andrew Murray wrote a book called With Christ in the School of Obedience. And, and I want to share with you a, a quote. He says, the true pupil the true pupil, say, of some great musician or painter yields his master a wholehearted and unhesitating submission. In practicing his scales or mixing the colors in the slow and patient study of the elements of his art, he knows that it is wisdom simply and fully to obey the master artist. In this wholehearted surrender to his guidance, this implicit submission to his authority, which Christ asks of us, we come to him asking him to teach us the lost art of obeying God as Jesus himself did. The only way of learning to do a thing, he writes, is to do the thing. The only way of learning obedience from Christ is to give up our will to him and make doing his will the one desire and delight of our hearts. Let me be clear about what God wants to teach us through this psalm. God is not telling us that he wants something from us. God doesn't want something 
from you. God wants something for you. That's a huge difference. He wants something for us. And so confession, repentance, deliverance, and obedience are not some heavy-handed list of rules to obey. You know, do this, don't do this. This is not what God wants from us. But these are the ways to living in the freedom from sin that God has made available to all of us through Christ's saving sacrifice on the cross. Now, going back to that verse where Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. This is the full life that God wants for us. And he will take us where we follow him. So let me encourage you, live life to the full. Deal with your sins regularly through confession. Look, I would encourage you to go to the Bible app and, and do a study. Do your own study. Feed your own self about confession. Look up a, a, a daily reading plan about what Scripture tells us about confession. And then repent and turn the other way from your own sinfulness and let God give you the way of deliverance and live in obedience to what he tells you to do through both his word, the Bible, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now today I want to close this message a little different. I'm going to invite Will and uh, Jenna to come up. They're going to sing a song, and, and, and the lyrics are going to be on the screen, not for you to sing, but just to let God minister to you and, and to speak to you. So uh, if you want to close your eyes and just let them sink in, I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, but I want you to just pay attention to them because they're powerful and they speak to us about this whole idea of uh, recognizing our sinfulness and confession and repentance and being delivered from that and walking in obedience to God. Thank you. 
Christ came for our freedom and he offers that to us. Today we're going to conclude our service by moving into celebrating the Lord's Supper. I would tell you, hopefully you picked up your communion elements when you came in. If you didn't, the ushers will bring them to you. They'll uh, just raise your hand if you didn't pick one up. But it's important, the scripture tells us that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we prepare to do so, that we actually take a time of confession. And so we're going to do something a little different this morning. We're actually not going to go into silent confession. We're going to have a, a corporate uh, prayer of confession. And it's going to be on the screen behind me. And so uh, if you would turn your attention to the screen and would you join me in this confession of prayer. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you and our thoughts, words, and deeds by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves and we have not heard the cry of the needy. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience and that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.